I'm just smiling at you. <laughs> oh, well done for making it here tonight. I assume you were here yesterday, I'm sure. Worshiping the Lord, here you are on Monday night, and uh, God bless you. I'm so glad you're here, and uh, I love your church. Uh, it's Jesus Church, but hey, it's one of millions all over the world where people have gathered together to serve the Lord Jesus and worship him, but I love coming here. I love Jason. You are blessed to have him as your lead pastor. I'm just going to say that, all right? Uh, I always tell pastors there's two things, lift up, or three things, lift up Jesus, teach the Bible, and love the people. Sometimes you get pastors that are good at teaching the Bible, but they're not really with the people. And sometimes you get people that can't really teach the Bible, but they love the people. But when you get it all together in one guy and an amazing team like you have, God can do amazing things. Would you agree? And that's what's happening here, and um, it's my honor to be here with you. And some of you are tired, you know, you had a long day, and I just want to say I know what it feels like, because up until last week, I lived in Lake Oswego, and a long story, don't have time to tell you tonight, but the Lord called us to move over to Bend, where our ministry is getting located, and one of our four kids is there, and four of our seven grandkids are there, one with special needs. Somebody bought our house cash with a two-week close. And so, I, I've, this is my third trip back and forth in a few days. Uh, but I love you, okay, and I'm really glad to be here, uh, a little physically tired, but spiritually, uh, I hope, filled with the love of God, because I have some things I'm really excited to share with you. Uh, when you came in, on your seat was a little uh, folder, and in it, there is a piece of paper that says, 10 things to remember if you want to be used by God, and uh the Lord kind of led me to talk on this before I saw uh, your survey results, which the number one thing that you as a church are saying is important to you is, I want to use my skills and gifts to serve. And so I want to give you 10 things tonight to remember if you want that to not just be a dream or a wish or something maybe will happen someday, but something that can happen it's either happening right now and it can grow or you can start stepping into it. The thing, God wants to use you, but sometimes the problem is we aren't usable. And when we're usable, he just can't wait to have us step into the good works that he has prepared for us to do. By the way, Ephesians, don't have time to teach on that tonight, but there's a verse in Ephesians that says God has prepared good works for you to walk in them before the foundation of the world. And, and that means that he has something for you to do that I'm not supposed to do, or Jason's not supposed to do, or Jared. It's something that he's called you to, and he's given you all you need to carry that out. And true joy is found when you say to Jesus, Lord, anything, anywhere, anytime, and, and you mean it from your heart, you just say, I'm just going to follow you, I'm going to make you king and Lord and master of my life, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead, and I'm going to step into not only loving you and loving other people, but actually serving you. And when you do that, you're going to find great joy. I am filled with so much joy tonight, I, I'm 71 years old, and I I, my cup is running over. I don't feel 71. You may say, well, you sure look it, but whatever. But, you know, probably after this week, I probably look 81. But anyway, uh, I, I have so much joy. I accepted the Lord at age 19, and for four years, I did not walk with the Lord. I was playing in a rock band in the Bay Area. I grew up in a dead liberal church. I got saved. Somebody shared Jesus with me, and I read through the whole New Testament in about a month, or three months, rather, 
And then I kept going back to this dead church where I don't think the pastor knew Jesus. I, it was the most, I looked at some of the sermons later and said, no wonder I was confused. Anyway, and so I, I fell away. Two years later, I went forward at a Billy Graham crusade in the Bay Area, rededicated my life. I read through the whole New Testament in a month this time. I was really spiritual. And I put Jesus stickers on my drums, but I was playing this ungodly music, went back to the dead church, fell away again. Two years later, this girl that I dated off and on, it was a bad relationship. Anyway, she said, my life's a mess. I found this church. And I stepped into a church like this church, and I saw people smiling, and I saw people carrying these things called Bibles. I said, I better get me one of those. And, and I started hearing the Bible taught, and it changed my life. And so I started saying to my band, this is not in my, I need to get to my 10 things. Anyway, I started saying to my band, I won't sing that song anymore, because it's like, it's, it's, it's dirty. And I had the Holy Spirit in me, so I was sitting on the drum set, and I said, I can't play this anymore. Well, those are our best songs. Back then, it was no DJs, man. It was live, live music, live bands. And then, even the love songs, like, you know, I can't live, let's live it without you. I'd hear that, and I'd be singing. Then I'd come to church the next, next Sunday. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. That means if I need a wife, he's going to give me a wife. So that song's actually a lie. As a Christian, I can't sing that song. Oh, that's our best slow dance song. Sorry. So I was just like scratching them off like this. And they go, you're wrecking our band. I go, I know, I quit. All right. <laughs> so, so that was the beginning of a journey for me. And if I had not stepped all in, which is all by the grace of God, you saw how patient he was. He is so patient with us. He didn't write me off because I fell away the first time. He didn't write me off because I fell away the second time. He was so patient with me, but I never would have married my wife. We've been married 43 years, 44 on July, July 15th, all right? Our four kids are walking with the Lord. They've married people who are walking with the Lord. We have seven grandkids. Now our kids are leading their kids to the Lord. And I'm telling you, I want to be here as long as Jesus can use me, but I'm ready to go because my cup is running over. I just want this for all of you. I want this for all of you. So what I'm going to share with you tonight is 10 things that I've learned along the way that if you will put them into practice, you will be used by God. And, and if you haven't discovered it yet, there's no greater joy than realizing that the God who made the universe that formed you in your mother's womb and knew every day that was ordained for you before there was yet one of them is in love with you. His thoughts about you every day outnumber the sand of the sea, of, 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 of all the sand, and, and his thoughts for you are constant, and he wants you to partner with him as he builds his kingdom. There's just no greater sense of worth, and he wants that for you. But you have to want it, because he won't force himself on you. So that's why I said, 10 things to remember if you want to be used by God, and it's up to you to tell him you do or you don't. Now, I gotta say one more prep. I guess I've blown almost six minutes. Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, I gotta tell you one more thing. So in my case, God called me to vocational ministry in 1975. So this July 15th, that'll be 47 years that I've had the joy of being a pastor. And we used to say, hey, if you're really serious about Jesus, quit your job, go to Bible college and be a pastor. That was really wrong. That was my generation. We should have said Ephesians 4 says you're all in the ministry. And some of us are called to equip you like Jason and other leaders here so that you can go be salt and light and bring the kingdom wherever it is in your world that he's called you to do as an accountant, as a plumber, a bus driver, a student, wherever you're called to go. <clears throat> and so... Um, what, what I've seen, though, is that many of the young guys and gals that Diane and I started out with 
they're not serving the Lord now. Or they're on their way to be in heaven one day with him, but they aren't being used by him like they once were. And it breaks my heart. And it's because along the way, some of these 10 things stopped happening in their life. I have followed several situations where I followed a pastor who had committed adultery. And it was, it was a mess, and it was sad, and it was confusing, and, and they'd lost a battle that I'm going to talk about tonight. And so um, I, I've lived long enough to know that the Christian life is a race. The Bible actually says it is. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And you figured it out. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And you, it's a long haul. And you need to put these 10 things into practice and keep them going through your entire life because the goal is to finish the race and to see Jesus one day and hear what my 10th point is. All right, here we go. <laughs> hear him say what my 10th point is. All right, now, there's, I know preachers are supposed to have three things. I've got 10, you guys. I'm already sleepy. Okay, I'm going to go through them fast. Some of them longer than others, but we're going to move through them. All right. If you're taking notes, write this down. And like my son used to say, if you're not taking notes, write this down. All right. Number one, ministry, serving God, is about modeling more than messages. Let me explain what I mean. You're all in the ministry. If you're a father, your kids are watching you. If you're a mother, your kids are watching you. If you work with kids here, kids are watching with you. Those of you, whatever you're doing, you're in the band up here. Are you living what you're singing about? Everybody's in the ministry. Everybody has somebody watching them. And when it comes to preachers, it's not just what they say on Sunday. It's what their life is like. God is actually more concerned about how you live your life than the words that come from your mouth. Now, don't get me wrong. He cares about the words that come from your mouth. One of the verses in Matthew that terrifies me every time I read it, in a good way, it's convicting. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, I say to you, every careless word that you shall speak, you shall render account for it in the day of judgment. And that word careless is worthless. Just the crude things we say or the rude things we say, the, the critical remarks, the worthless things, the, the, the crummy joke, that stuff is not supposed to come from the mouth of the believer. And so we're going to be held accountable for our words. So words are important. But how you live your life is even more important. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 said, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. That word imitators in the original language of the New Testament means mimic. Paul was so close to the Lord. He said, hey, you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus? Watch me and mimic me. Could you say that? I can't either. So you, if you think you can't, stand up if you can say that, right? I've never met anybody who can. Like we're all on this journey to become more like the Lord. But Paul had the courage and the guts because he was so radically transformed by, by an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he was so sold out to him that he said, hey, I'm all in. Follow me as I follow Christ. How you live your life speaks louder than your words. To elders in the church, they must be... 1 Timothy 3 says, blameless. Not sinless. There's only one who is sinless, Jesus Christ, but blameless. No one should be able to point the finger at an elder of a church and say, hey, you're a spiritual leader here, but I do your taxes. I'm your accountant, and you ask me to cheat on your taxes every year. Or you're teaching a lesson on purity, but you're looking at pornography, whatever it might be. Your marriage, if you're married, should be somewhat of a picture 
of the relationship between Christ and the church because that's what marriage is supposed to be. Ephesians 5 is so clear. The husband is the Christ figure. He's to die for his wife. The wife is the figure of the church to give honor to her husband as the church gives reverence to Christ. And that's why Satan attacks marriages because he hates marriages that do a decent job of giving that picture to the world because it's showing them what God is like because there's perfect unity and joy in the Godhead between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you have children, you're to bring them up in the ways of the Lord. And those of you that do have children, you've learned, and if you teach children here, values are caught more than they're taught. You can teach what you know, but ultimately you will reproduce who you are. And so if you want God to use you, make sure your life backs up what you're saying because ministry is about modeling more than messages. All right, got that one? Number two. I told you we're going to move along here. Live a life of holiness. First Peter chapter 1, when we hear that word holy, we go, oh, quiet. You know, we think that holiness means like I'm going to be bored. Holiness is actually happiness. The most joyful people are people that have learned to walk in holiness. First Peter 1 says, like the holy one who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. I heard this quote. I think it's on the screen here. According to your holiness, so shall be your success. A holy man or a holy woman is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. I love that. A Scottish preacher said that. The word holy means to be morally pure, to be separated from things that aren't pleasing to God so that you can serve him. You know, Philippians chapter 2, I memorized uh, that chapter a long time ago, but verses, starting at verse 14, it says that we as followers of Jesus are to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Here's why. So that you may prove yourselves to be blameless, that means holy, and innocent children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, which Jason just told me what Gresham was like. I'm glad I'm leaving after I'm done here. Anyway, uh, <laughs> in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Another translation is among, among whom you shine like stars in the universe against this world that's trying to find a different version of human fulfillment, and it's not working out. They're trying to find the fullness of walking with God without God <laughs> and true joy without the joy that only he can bring. You shine like a star against the black night. It's beautiful. Revelation, the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 22 says, let the one who is holy keep himself holy. I've learned that holiness involves moment by moment decisions. My phone just dinged. I thought I turned it off anyway. Um, before we had these, I was traveling. A lot of you know who Luis Palau is. I had the joy of serving with him for a number of years all over the United States. And, and a lot of times I was by myself in a hotel room thousands of miles from my wife, whom I loved. And if you walk in a lot of hotel rooms, there's pornography right there. You can purchase it on the TV, right? And, and, and this is before there were, I didn't even have a cell phone for a long time. <laughs> they gave me an MCI card, so I'd leave my wife a week on end. They go, you can call her once a week. You know, hey, babe, they're giving me 20 minutes. How are you? You know, but anyway, so I, I would be tempted. I'm alone. I'm away from my wife. It's going into the second week. And so I learned that I, I, what I need to do is make a decision so I don't make a mistake. So I just, I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to unplug the TV. 
So every time I go into a, TV, into a hotel room, I, just, I would just unplug the TV. And I was in England once where, you know, sometimes the, the, the hotels, they talk to you on your TV, like you pay your bill there and everything. So I walked into this room in England, they go, welcome, you know, and so I unplugged it. And so I was supposed to sign something. I don't know what it was. And so I get this phone call from the office, like, Mr. Comer, uh, we're, we're trying to communicate with you on your television. You know, I said, well, that's because I unplugged it, you know, and I, I can't remember if I told him why. But anyway, um, I, I, I'm not bragging that I made a great decision. I'm saying I knew my weakness, so I had, to, I had to make a decision so that I wouldn't make a mistake that would have hard repercussions. And now, man, that's nothing. <laughs> that's nothing. I mean, this can, is an awesome tool for good, or it can really mess up your life. I can preach a sermon on iPhones, but I won't. Okay, <clears throat> do you remember the old song? I, my voice is all shot tonight. <clears throat> I'm... But I'm going to sing anyway. Okay. I choose to be holy. Sing it if you know it. Set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy. Set apart for you, my master. Ready to do your will. I love that song. Because it says, you guys can sing. Okay, it, I choose to be holy. All right, number three. If you want to be used by God, walk in humility. This is the third thing to remember. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this because it's massive. It's massive. Pride is our biggest enemy in so many ways. You know, you've heard the saying, pride goes before the fall. And when I think I can do it, I deserve to have it, I should have gotten that. He didn't. I'm better than him. I'm better than her, whatever. And it's I. You notice the, the, the letter in the middle of the word pride is I, all right? P-R-I-D-E. <coughs> James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you. I don't want the God of the universe against me. <laughs> I want him for me. And he is for you, but if we get arrogant and prideful, then he can't use us because we're not usable. Philippians 2 says we should have the same attitude that was in Jesus Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Theologians talk about what did he empty himself of. He laid aside his privileges of being in heaven with the Father, and he didn't live for himself. The Gospel of John, Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to my Father. He didn't come to do his own will, but rather the will of his Father who sent him. Sometimes we think people will be impressed if they see how amazing we are. But if you notice in the kingdom of God, it's backwards. The way up is down. <laughs> and the way to greatness is to serve. And so I had to learn this. We all have to learn this. And, and selfish ambition is a very deadly thing. You, you can want something, even a good thing. But if you want it so bad even in the church, and you're not getting it, it's all about I, about you. And there's a verse in James that I just want to read to you really quickly. In James chapter 3, it's very short. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Now that means whenever you see disorder 
disharmony in a marriage, in a family, in the church. How come I didn't get that job? How come I didn't get, how come they got it or whatever? And every evil thing, whenever you see that, you can trace it back and you will find jealousy and selfish ambition. Which, of course, there's only one kind of jealousy that's good. We can be jealous for God, for him, but not for what we want. So Jesus said we need to become like little children. And so I had to learn this. I mentioned Luis Palau. So when I, before I was even married, before he even had his own organization, he would come to our church in the Bay Area, and we just have our own Luis Palau crusade. And I was the young worship leader, and he'd do, do his amazing thing, and all these people would get saved. And then he'd look at me, oh, good job leading worship. We'll work together someday. I'd like, call me, call me. He'd never call me. So he'd come back a year later. We're going to work together someday. Call me, call me. You know, he never called me. So finally, seven years later, he called me. And I started helping him a little bit. As a worship pastor, the church would let me go. And I got really excited about it. I thought, this is what I want to do. I mean, I, I want to go do that. So I wrote a letter promoting myself, <laughs> basically saying, hey, it was great. You keep saying we're going to work together, and I just want you to know I've been praying, and I really think now is the time. And, and I was, and, you know, back then, this was like no email yet, all right? I'm talking the 80s, man. And so I waited. You wait for the letter to come. You know what a letter is, you young people? It's a thing you write. You take it to the post office, right? Who is this guy? Anyway, uh, finally the letter comes. Luis Palau stationery. I'm ready to rip it open. My calling is happening. I got a job. And it wasn't even from him. It was from his son, Kevin, who later was my boss. And, uh, and it basically said, yeah, you know, dad is really excited about maybe working with you someday, but we don't have the finances and we can't hire you right now. So, eh, you know, and, and here's, here's what I want to share with you. When I read that, I'm just speaking for myself now. I felt, the you know, when the Lord convicts you, it's not anger. It's this holy speaking. It's a loving rebuke. I received a loving rebuke from the Lord. Don't ever promote yourself. I know how I want to use you. I know when I want to use you. I can find you. <laughs> you God can find you. You don't have to tell him, here I am. You forgot me. No, he, he, knows, he knows where you are. And years later, I got to serve with him for years. But it wasn't God's timing. And it only happened when I got invited. The point I want to make is when it comes to serving Jesus, don't try to tell somebody what you want to do. This thing on your number one thing, you want to be used by God here. That's wonderful. Let me tell you how to do it. Go up to one of the leaders and say, what do we need around here? I'll do anything. That's what you should say. And you know what? And then just do it. Don't say, well, I don't do kids. You know, <laughs> I only teach college students. I don't do diapers. I don't do whatever. No, just say, how can I serve? Oh, you need people parking cars? Or, oh, that's great. I'll do, I can do that. Oh, I can come early and put these bulletins on the chairs if you want. Just, just start serving and let God lead you into what he has for you. By the way, that's in the Bible. In Proverbs, it says, when you're invited by someone to a dinner, don't take the seat of honor. Lest somebody more distinguished than you comes and it be said to you, oh, hey, you take the lower place. And you feel humiliated. And it says, and you're back in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Jesus referred to that in the New Testament and said the same thing when you give a luncheon and a dinner. So in other words, don't promote yourself. Let the Lord show you what he wants for you. And I call that walking in humility. Proverbs 29 says, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. 
First Peter 5 says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. And remember, what Jesus used as an example of humility was a child. So we need to become like little children. We need more servant leaders. And I think the more servant leaders we have, the more amazing the kingdom of God is going to go forward. I heard this quote by J. Oswald Sanders once, the world has yet to see what could happen if everyone lost the desire to get the glory <laughs> or the credit. Wouldn't it be a marvelous place if nobody cared who got the credit? <laughs> I love that. I'm just here to serve. And by the way, humility is the one quality that once you think you've got it, you've lost it. <laughs> it's not your job to humble people. It's your job to be humble. When I was saved in the Jesus movement, we sang that. You, now, some of you are old enough to remember this. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. The girls, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. <laughs> humble thyself in the sight. And he will lift you up higher and higher. And he will lift you up. Let's just keep singing. <laughs> I am the one. No, sorry. Okay, number four. That was a long one, so we're going to go quicker now. If you want to be used by God, remember you have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Coming to Jesus is not a playground, it's a battleground. 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God abides or remains forever. The world pulls at you. You need that car. You need more money. You need a better job. You need to go to Hawaii. You need her. You know, she looks better than your wife. You know, it's, it's the world is pulling at you or vice versa. That guy's way better looking than my husband. Whatever, you know, it's like it's pulling at you. Your flesh cries out to you. Go ahead, do it. It's not going to, you know, yeah, you know, maybe you shouldn't, but hey, go for it. And the devil, he's, he's, he wants to kill you. The Bible says he is roaming about seeking whom he may devour. And I'll tell you who he goes after, people who are walking with God. He doesn't bother with the people not walking with God. They're already walking in darkness. He goes after people that are starting to really seek the Lord. I've seen that men, and I'm going to talk about men who are disqualified from ministry, are men who have lost the battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And usually it's the world and the flesh, and they blame the devil. Well, I was, I was attacked, you know. And so I just say, remember, you're in a battle. Number five, remember, this battle is fought and won in prayer. I love Ephesians chapter six, which clearly says there's conflict going on right now. And there is conflict in relationships because we're all broken people being put back together by Jesus. There's conflict in your marriage. There's conflict with your kids. There's conflict at work. And there's that earthly battle going on, but there's another battle that we can't see with our eyes because it's happening in the heavenlies. Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So it's talking about standing firm in the battle, but let me finish what it says. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's the only offensive weapon is the word of God. Everything else is defensive. 
And here's how you fight. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. It doesn't say, go get a tank. <laughs> go get an F-16. Go get some guns. No, it says pray at all times in the Spirit. Once you put the armor on, the breastplate of righteousness and, and the helmet of salvation, and you've taken your sword, you go to battle in prayer. I wonder how much more we would accomplish and how much more joy we would have if we simply spent more quiet moments with the Lord in prayer. Diane and I have experienced a lot, like every marriage, you, you experience good times and harder times, and, and then times where you feel like you're under attack. And so I heard an older guy when I was probably 30-something, he's probably my age, but anyway, he, he, I thought he was old, but he was amazing. And he said this phrase, I pass it on from him, his name was Merv Rosell. he's with the Lord now, pre-pray to prevent disaster. Pre-pray to prevent disaster. You will see a cycle, like we always seem to get in a fight then, or when this happens, or as a pastor, Saturday night. My wife and I, when we're getting ready to teach on marriage, we get into an argument. And, and, and sometimes you could say, well, it's because you were stupid and you said something rude. <laughs> right. <laughs> but other times, it seems to be at another level. Because Satan wants to come in and energize the conflict. He'll look for any chink where he can get in there. And so when you learn about your marriage or about yourself or about a friend relationship, whatever, and you just see, you know what? It seems like this tends to happen at this time. Pre-pray to prevent disaster and you will do well. Now, let's keep moving on. Oh, wait, I got I to say one more thing. This is a, a slide. I heard this once, no prayer, no power, little prayer, little power, much prayer, much power. I like that. By the way, my wife and I, we teach um, on helping parents raise passionate Jesus followers. It's our main thing now called Intentional Parents International. When we were starting it kind of around 2014, I heard about this pastor in Ohio named Donald who had raised nine kids who were all grown and they were all serving God. Some in ministry, some as in business, some as, uh, and one, his one son is a pastor. And they're all walking with the Lord. And I thought, okay, that's what I want because God's given that to my wife and I. We made it our, our, our biggest passion and prayer all along. If anything else God wants to do with us, great, but we want our kids to grow up and follow the way of Jesus. So I said, I'm flying back to Ohio because I want to meet this guy. So and he, was, uh, he was pastor emeritus. His son was in his 50s, and he was pastoring. Donald was like late 80s. He had his office, and he was in there half a day. So I made an appointment with him. So he never met me before. I go, hey, my name's Phil, and we're starting this ministry called Intentional Parenting. And, and you know, you're a guy from his church that was an insurance guy told me about him. So I said, hey, Carl told me that, you know, your kids are walking with the Lord. So I'm here. I got my book out. I got my pen. I want to know what you did to have your nine kids grow up to follow the way of Jesus. And he said, well, mostly we just prayed. I go, that's great. Prayer. I go, what else did you do? He goes, well, well, my wife and I, like when we were driving to the store, you know, the, we would hold hands and pray. And I go, okay. Well, what else did you do? Well, at night, I would go into each one of my kids' rooms, and I would pray over them. And I tried for 15 or 20 minutes to get anything else out of him <laughs> except prayer. And I concluded that the best thing you can ever do to raise godly kids is to pray. All right. So, much prayer, much power. And that has to do for your own walk with God or even the ministry that you call to. Number six, remember it is Jesus who is building his church not you. 
Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our thing that we're doing, even in the church, it almost becomes like a God. And we feel like, well, man, Rise Church needs me, man, because without me, this place would really be a mess. Like, I'm the one leading this. I'm the one doing that. And I just want you to remember what Jesus said. Upon this rock, I will build my church, he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's easy to forget sometimes that we aren't building Jesus' church for him. He's building it through us. Now, we have a part in it. That's my next point in just a second. But sometimes we can just be so wrapped up with good motives that we feel like it's all on us. And sometimes it is on us. But I remember when we started our church, Solid Rock on the West Side, I was exhausted. It exploded. Uh, Tyler, who's here here tonight, he, he really started walking with God at the way, which my son Jamark led. And people were coming to Christ, and the prayer room was packed. And I would like, these four people accepted Christ, and i got to make sure I get them into a, a small group because they're new Christians. And, you know, if they don't, they're going to be like leaving the baby out to die. And, and I was waking. I couldn't sleep. My, my, I was waking up at 1 o'clock. My heart was racing. And I was waking up my wife like, something's wrong with me. And so it was Valentine's Day. And we have some friends that live out in Wilsonville, and they have a nice little cottage, and we were going over there to have just a night alone, right? So we went over to say hi to them first to thank them for letting us use their cottage. And they said, how are you doing? I go, well, honestly, because they're our friends. Like, I'm stressed. She goes, well, why? So I told her. She goes, do you think it's your personal responsibility to, to help every single person who makes the decision at Solid Rock grow in their faith? And I, I said, yeah, <laughs> I'm the pastor. <clears throat> and she said, well, doesn't it say in... in the New Testament, that if someone's saved like newborn babes, they'll long for the milk of the word. I go, yeah, it does say that. You know, so anyway, it was just a moment for me where I realized if I didn't care, I shouldn't be a pastor. So it's not, it, it was okay that I was caring, but when I felt like it was all on me, it was driving me crazy. And so I think we need to remember Jesus is working. What's that cool song? Even when we don't see if you're, I don't know the words that, you know, you know, uh, you know that song, right? What is it? Waymaker, yeah. Even when we don't see it, you're working. All right, that's, I won't sing that one. All right, here we go. Number seven. Here's the flip side to number six. Always work hard, go the extra mile. That's in the Bible, Luke 17, 10. I'll quote it for you in a minute. The Bible has a lot to say about hard work. And when I got on my rock band, I got a job shoveling cement. That was hard. It was embarrassing too. But anyway, I dug trenches for a construction company. I delivered papers as a kid 365 days a year early in the morning. But preaching and preparing sermons was the hardest work I have ever done. But here's what I've learned. God blesses hard work and anything worth doing is worth doing well. Sometimes people look at our son, John Mark, and say, he's so gifted. They have no idea how hard he works to hone his craft of teaching the Bible. He worked himself too hard. And, and he, he pours his whole life into this craft and calling that he has. And so there is this working side to it. Proverbs 14, 23 says, in all labor, there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. So I say, don't be a slacker, be a hard worker. So Luis Palau taught his four boys, Luke 17, 10, where Jesus said, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done that which we ought to have done. 
What Jesus was saying is if you have the heart of a servant, you won't do what you have to do. You'll look for what else needs to be done. If you raise your kids and they get a job at Starbucks and they're working and the shift manager's stressed out and they're looking around and somebody spills their mocha on the ground and, and they say, go, go clean that up. And, and your kid goes over and starts cleaning up the mocha and your kid notices that there's muffin crumbs all over these tables and they start cleaning the muffin crumbs too. And the shift manager goes, well, I didn't ask him to clean the muffin crumbs. Hey, would you like to become a shift manager? <laughs> I mean, that's how it works. The people who go the extra mile, who just say, how can I serve? What, what else can I do? Is there anything else you need? Yeah, I did what you asked me. I cleaned the bathroom. Is there anything else that I can do for you to help you tonight? The work is a blessing. And I heard one time, pray like everything depends upon God, but work as if everything depends upon you. Because remember, it's the Lord Jesus Christ whom you are serving. Colossians 3 says that whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Number nine, number eight. Is that right? Am I on eight? Eight. All right, we got to go. I've only got five minutes. Okay. Don't fall in love with the ministry. Fall in love with Jesus and minister out of the overflow of your heart. Let me say it again. Don't fall in love with the ministry. Fall in love with Jesus and minister out of the overflow of your heart. I wish I could talk about this for a while, but I'll just say when I was living in Medford, getting ready to come up to, to plant this church with my wife, and my son ended up joining, I asked my pastor in Southern Oregon to pray over me. He walked in and he said two things. He goes, Phil, make it a Jesus church. And he didn't know that God had given us that phrase, but he said, just lift up Jesus, talk about him, lift up his name, and let him do his work. And then he said, and don't fall in love with the ministry. Fall in love with Jesus and minister out of the overflow of your life. And I would say, if you're trying to find your joy in what you're doing for him, eventually you will be uh, discouraged and empty. Because when everything's going great, you're a genius. Everybody thinks you're wonderful. And when it's not, you're a total toad. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, well, like, are you in charge of that? It's not going very well. It was going well before you took it. You know, it's like, and so if you try to find your joy in what you're doing, there is joy in what you're doing, but if you make that your main thing, you're going to be like this. So fall in love with Jesus. Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I wish I had time to tell you a story about one of my kids that I love so much. I actually was loving them more than the Lord. I don't have time to tell you that tonight. Just let me say, anything can become an idol, even one of your kids that you love so much because they're so fun to be around. And, and it's your, you know, in this case, it was my youngest son. I called him the child of my old age because I was 41 when he was born and he was just big blue eyes and he was just everybody. The, the, our daughter Rebecca says, Dad, you practiced on the first three of us and Matthew's your masterpiece. You know, it's like he's just the greatest kid. And, and I was more in love with him than the Lord. And, and I, there's more to that. I, I told you some of the story. That's all. All right. Your identity, your identity should not be your ministry. It should be loving Jesus. Number nine, God doesn't reward greatness. He rewards faithfulness. In America, everybody wants to be famous. American Idol. I want to be the most famous person in America. Unfortunately, that can carry over even into the church. When two pastors get together, pretty quickly somebody says, tell me about your church. Like, How many people come? And the guy with the biggest church feels like, oh, yeah, I got a, a thousand. And this guy goes, I've got 200. He doesn't say, oh yeah, we don't have that many, you know. And he feels like a failure. As if in the Bible, that's, that's a measure of success. I mean, it is great 
people are important to God. So every person that comes, the bigger the better as far as I'm concerned. But what did Jesus say in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25? Well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and famous servant. It was faithful servant. I will put you, you were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. 1 Corinthians 4 says it's required of servants or stewards that they be faithful. And Revelation chapter 2 says, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus just asks you to be faithful. And man, if you will stay faithful, you will be filled with so much joy when you're older one day like me. Last one, number 10. I have one minute. Remember, your reward isn't here, it's in heaven. Now, you're going to get some rewards here. You're going to see your prayers answered. You're going to see God use you to bless other people. But Jesus promised that if anyone leaves house or brothers or sisters or mother or fathers or children or farms for his sake, this is Matthew cha- or Mark chapter 10, he will receive in this present age houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children, along with persecutions, but in the age to come, eternal life. I love that. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus says in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation twenty two twelve, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. I love that it doesn't say, and my club is with me. <laughs> to let you know all the mess-ups that I saw. No, he forgives his reward. He can't wait to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. He wants to say that for you. All you have to do is stay close to him and be usable. Amen? All right, let's stand. I want to pray over you. And then I think we're going to carry on here. Before I pray, I want to read. uh, I got a text from a friend of mine. We're not close friends. He owns three restaurants on the west side. You've probably been to some of them. And I was telling him we were moving to Bend, and he was just speaking over my life, that this is God's call in your life. And then here's how he ended his text. He said, we're only here for a short while, so let's do our best. And I read that, and I just thought again about what the Bible says, the brevity of life. We don't know what a day will bring, will bring forth. The Bible says, don't boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. That's why I say God willing all the time, because... God willing, I'll get up tomorrow morning and get back to Bend and see my beautiful wife and our cool golden retriever trooper and, you know, I mean, I, and get to experience my grandchildren and all that. But I don't know that. And so we're only here a short while, so let's do our best. Let's be used by God. And then he said this, never fail to ask for help. So let's ask for help right now, okay? Father, I thank you that you sent your son into the world to live a life we can never live. He came seeking and saving that which was lost, and that was every one of us here. And then he shed his sinless blood that we might be forgiven and that we might then be brought into relationship with the Father where we can literally talk to God and enter the throne room because of the sacrifice of Jesus, and you consider our requests. And then, Lord Jesus, when you ascended to be at the right hand of the Father, you didn't leave us alone. You sent your spirit, and he's called the parakletos, the helper. So we ask for help, Lord. We can't live out these 10 things by just saying, I'm going to do it. Pure willpower. I'm super disciplined. We need your help. And thank you that that's exactly who you are, the helper. 
So, Lord, help each one here in their calling now and in the days ahead. Lead them as they say, Lord, anywhere, anything, anytime. And may they always love you and speak well of you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen.